0: Welcome everyone to the Sydney Ideas Conversation. I'm Professor Marie Tyson and I'm Director of the Matilda Centre. Uh, the Matilda Centre is a research centre for mental health and substance use at the University of Sydney and I'm also a National Mental Health Commissioner. I'd just like to start today by acknowledging and paying respect to the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet. And the traditional owners of the lands across the country um, and from where everyone is joining us today. I'd also like to acknowledge those people um, with lived experience um, of mental disorders who have joined us for this uh, webinar. So a very warm welcome to everyone, um, everyone online today and to those who will listen as a podcast later well-being and COVID-19 is new to all of us and so we're really looking forward to the conversation and we're really keen to hear from you, to hear about your concerns and hear about how you're faring and I'll just ask Lexine Stepinski who is also online with me to introduce herself as well.
1: Okay, thanks Marie. Um, so I'm Lexine Stupinski, and I'm a clinical psychologist and lead in intervention and implementation also at the Matilda Centre. And as Marie said, we'd really love to hear from you today with any comments or questions that you have on this topic. But to start things off, I'd like to ask Marie a question first off. Um, so Marie, can you tell us a little bit about your concerns for the well-being of our community in view of COVID-19?
0: Thanks. Thanks, Lex. And it's certainly been a tumultuous time for all of us and it feels very much like a roller coaster ride. And I'm sure everyone online would um, be feeling the same way. Um, my concerns for the well-being are really in three main areas. Um, the first one is the fear of the virus. The second one is the impacts of isolation. This is a new phenomenon that we really haven't experienced before. The levels of whole world and whole community isolation from each other. And then the longer term impacts on our mental health and in our community. So there's a lot of fear and stress in our community. And I think like everyone, um, I'm worried about the future. We're all worried about the future. Uh, People around the world we hear are dying. When they die they die alone that's a terrible way to die and i hear so many people tell me they're all worried about their loved ones fearful that our way of life has changed and also really fearful for our health and safety and just yesterday there was a report out um, that seven in ten australians were concerned or very concerned about their health due to covid so that's a con- that's most australians are concerned about this um, also, at the same time, we have our frontline workers and a shout out to any frontline workers who are online today who are facing extreme and often unthinkable situations. And it just really does feel like we're all thinking about COVID 24-7. It definitely feels like it to me. So that's really that fear factor that um, and the fear and stress in the community. And compounded on top of that, now we also have the isolation. Now, we absolutely must, to defeat this virus, we absolutely must physically distance. But I think it's really important and a challenge um, for our mental health, um, the physical distancing, because it leaves us more vulnerable. Our usual ways of staying connected have been broken. We all have to get online like we are now. And social isolation, we know, can increase anxiety and depression so while we are social beings while we've got the challenges of physical distancing that means we leave ourselves vulnerable now Australians as a community are doing brilliantly at coming together and protecting ourselves by physically distancing we just need to make sure we're also um, socially connecting and the last one is impact on the future this is the first time that we've Seen this uh, type of pandemic anywhere uh, in the world. We're going to have economic downturn, people are going to lose jobs, and we know that um, we've got extreme stress. So, all of those things coming together, there is a really uh, risk that we will see increases in mental health problems, um, as happened in particular countries after SARS, and more people needing help. So, the p- pandemic is going to have impacts far beyond. Uh, the initial battle with the virus. But having said all those things, I think it's also really important that we think about the things that we can do now. What can we do now? Um, what can we do to make things even a little bit better for ourselves and others? And so I thought after laying all that out, I'd throw you the hard task, Lexine, and giving us some hints about how we might practically... Um, what can we practically do to deal with the fears and the anxiety in the community at the moment?
1: Yeah, thanks, Marie. And I think you have really just acknowledged how challenging this is for, for for people, for all of us, it really is a, p- a perfect storm of just so many things going on. And I guess the first, the first practical step that we can take is just to acknowledge how we're all feeling in this time. It's natural that we're feeling anxious, stressed, or sad at this time. And sometimes it helps to just notice, acknowledge, talk about it. Sometimes it helps to have a cry. And we should also cut ourselves some slack. Just um, know that we may be less productive than we normally are and that it's going to take us some time to adjust, and, and that's okay. The second step, I think, is to really make sure that we engage in active and not avoidant coping. So this means working within the situation that we're in, uncertain and challenging as it is, to look after ourselves and others. So most of you will be familiar with Are You Okay Day? And I think at the moment, sort of every day needs to be Are You Okay Day? So checking in with each other, listening to how they're feeling goes a long way. Um, and we need to do the best we can for our own mental health through things like um, exercise, paying attention to exercise, sleep, healthy eating, and also finding ways to have fun. I know that's not on everyone's probably top of the agenda at the moment, but it is really important that we're still finding some some ways to enjoy things. Which I brings think, me um,
0: yeah, playing um, uh, Cards Against Humanity online with my fun last week. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent.
1: Well, that brings me well to the next point, which is finding alternatives. So at the moment, we really need to be creative and think outside the box and a lot of our usual ways to socialize or exercise or have fun are not really available at the moment, but we have to get creative find new ways to do things and we can also motivate each other by sharing the new just newly discovered options. So yeah, sharing things like ways that we're finding to connect virtually. Uh, Now, the next one might also be a tip for you, Marie, given what you said in the beginning, is that we do need to make sure we switch off sometimes. So I think in a time of uncertainty like this, we can find ourselves experiencing information overload and, well, I think you said it, Marie, living and breathing COVID-19 24-7. And we need to stay informed, but we also need to take a break sometimes, switch off, take time out from thinking or hearing about uh,
0: COVID-19. So, like limiting the amount of time. <laughs> <You> exactly. <know. laughs>
1: yeah, limiting and also being selective about the sources that we're um, that we're getting our information from. There, not all information sources are equal. There's obviously some that are more alarmist, and um, yeah, so really being selective and choosing reputable sources as well. And finally, and this is just reiterating one of your points, I think, Marie, that we all need to be connecting and reaching out for help and encouraging others in our networks to reach out. And being aware that there are many resources available, um, online resources, for example, telehealth resources that can help us to develop um, coping strategies to prevent problems from snowballing. So speaking of reaching out, um, we'd like to now spend some time addressing some of the questions that people have, had, um, have sent in to us about managing wellbeing at this time. And a question that a lot of people are wondering about, I think, Marie, is work-life balance. So people are often juggling multiple roles, simultaneously looking after kids, homeschooling them while working from home. How do you think this can affect uh, our wellbeing?
0: So, yeah, look, the juggling the multiple roles, um, this really came home to me yesterday with a release of a report out of the UK showing that um, in terms of mental health and wellbeing across UK countries, people who were juggling both um, family responsibilities, young kids, um, trying to work and um, also working under pressure of uncertainty about their um Future um, financial security. They were the ones that were faring the worst with their well-being. So it really, as you said, that idea about the perfect storm of many factors. Um, there is just not going to be always an easy answer. I know I've had people who have to have had to do Zoom within cupboards just to actually find a quiet space in their house um, where they could um, participate in meetings. So there's not going to be an easy answer, but I think definitely if you can splitting up space in your house where there's um, work space and there's recreation space, that does help because that allows you to switch off and switch on as you're switching from your work and your um, and your home life. And then um, the other one is, um, while it can be really hard, it's looking all the time for ways that you can um, manage and juggle it. Um, So another question that a lot of people have been asking us, um, Lex, is concerning how to manage concerns about that finance, about losing, about really being very worried in this economic environment about losing your job. Is there some ways that people can deal with that intensity of anxiety and stress? Yeah, it
1: really is so understandable that many of us are feeling anxious, stressed or even panicky with the current situation as it is and as it continues to unfold. And what we really need to do, though, is differentiate between productive thinking, productive problem solving and worry. And what happens when we get anxious is that our brain gets stuck in a cycle of worry that is focused on imagining the worst-case scenario that might happen. So not necessarily likely, but that might happen. And one worry can lead to a cascading chain of worries that seems to snowball and lead to us feeling more and more anxious. So what's really important is to notice and identify when your worries start to snowball like this and do something to deliberately interrupt that cascade of worry. It can help to change environment, even if at the moment that just means changing room, or refocus on something completely different that's really um, centred in the here and now rather than the future. And often it can help to talk through worries with someone else, which might help to, to put those worries into perspective.
0: I'm just wondering, Lex, we've got a couple of questions coming up about this. I'm wondering if we could um, go over to that now and just um, because they're directly on this issue around um, concerned about losing jobs. So we we have someone asking, you know, as a younger worker in the university sector, they're very worried about the job market and um, my contract will finish this year. It seems unlikely I'll find work at the uni or in the wider sector. Um any suggestions, um, they've been putting in um, proactive applications, which is fantastic, mm. um, but, of course, that can feel demoralising. So, really, suggestions about how to deal with that demoralisation that can happen around rejections, but keeping your energy levels up. Just wondering if I can put you on the spot and throw that mm-hmm. one to you. Yeah,
1: look, it's really hard, isn't it? And you're, like, your heart really goes out to, to people when you know when this situation is going on. we are hearing this from so many people. And I guess the thing that we all sort of need to remember at the moment is that this is a situation that is not going to last forever. The feelings that we have at the moment, the anxiety that we have at the moment, it's related to a very particular situation. And to a degree, we've sort of got to weather the storm. Now, I guess the the tips that I was talking about before in terms of really trying to make sure that you don't, it's, you know, it's, I guess it's realistic to worry about things at the moment. But sometimes we can catch those worries spiraling out of control and really going beyond maybe the um the situation and really catastrophizing things so staying on the lookout for when that starts to happen and as I said trying to switch back to another um, refocus on something else focus on this like this person has said really being proactive and looking at what can I do in this situation what steps could I take to make it a bit better and this person's been really inspiring in terms of really being proactive and it sounds like doing everything that they can to put themselves in the best possible situation given a really Really, really tough situation. Yeah. The other thing, sorry, just to finish on that, that I want to mention is that. If you do find that your worry is becoming really overwhelming or stopping you from being able to get um, on with things, also maybe causing um, sleep problems or really having trouble concentrating, then it's important then to think about whether you might need some extra support. And we do know there are really effective strategies out there that can help people manage the thinking patterns and behaviours that fuel anxiety.
0: Just while we're quickly on it, one other small one. uh, that's come through in the questions but also related to work um, and that life work balance is um, finding it hard to keep the office hours can't get motivated in the mornings but then end up working at night um, boy can I relate to this one I feel less productive and then feel bad about myself how can I structure my day and to my best and feel like I'm doing a good job and I think that structure in that one the, the in embedded in the question is really the important thing Um, setting yourself that structure one thing that's really helped for me is putting a very significant difference between where office is in my house and where and where life is in my house so um I I really um, am finding that incredibly useful um, mm. because that then allows me to set structure around when is work, when is morning, when is evening, when is rest. So I'm using geography as a solution, practical solution to that one. So one part of the house is work, one part isn't. But I don't know if you've got another tip for... Um, finding keeping those office hours
1: well actually marie i was going to ask you about what you thought the role of managers might be in that because i guess they're sort of embedded in this question is the fact that there needs to be an awareness at all levels that we might not be as productive as normal at the moment
0: Yeah, So really um, feeling less productive. There's a a lot of conversation around everyone at the moment is working from home. Mm -hmm. Um, But what is actually happening is we're trying to do our work in a situation of world crisis. So often with kids and often with many competing Mm -hmm. demands. So it's, I think, as you said earlier, cutting yourself a little bit of slack, that um, maybe it is actually you are going to have days where you're going to feel less productive. Yeah. Just picking yeah. up on that, I did have this. Actually, yeah. we'll get back to our questions. But one person said, "Is it okay to be enjoying this challenge?"
1: Ah. I don't have any
0: paid work, but it's been time to address long-awaited projects.
1: There have been a few a few uh, stories coming out of people. Um, I saw on the news the other night about a man, a, a father who had been looking at the positive sides in terms of spending more time working from home, spending more time with family. So yeah, there certainly are people that are finding some silver linings in obviously a really challenging situation.
0: Yeah, and and coming out of the recent UK studies, a small proportion, one in 10 people saying that they were finding more time to do things that they Mm -hmm. haven't been able to do before.
1: And while we're on anxiety, one just came through as well, um, well, we were on anxiety, um, about social anxiety, which was a really great question, I think. um, But just saying um, given what this, this kind of social distancing um, that we're going through at the moment, what impact might this have on social anxiety? And it's a fantastic question um, because what we do know about anxiety is that there's a really strong link between avoidance and anxiety. The more that we avoid the things that we feel, so in the case of social anxiety, people feeling nervous um, and anxious about social interactions and how they appear to others, the more we avoid that, the more difficult it becomes, the more anxiety increases. So at the moment, um, yeah, we are in a situation where people are sort of forcibly having less social contact. So I think a really important thing here is coming back to a point I mentioned earlier about finding alternatives. We can't, we can't socialise in the same way, but for people that find themselves prone to shyness and social anxiety, it is important to keep up those social connections, keep practising those social skills, keep those friendships going even more than, than ever. It's so important at the moment. So thanks for a great question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And can we also say that um, there's lots of questions coming through and we won't be able to um, answer them all online, but we're really, we'll try and we'll keep all of them. We'll try and type some answers and um, give some feedback to um, people online as well. Maybe one more Lex, which is, um, it's a really great question around the difficulty of reconciling the fact that prior to this, we were being told to limit our time, Um, our, um, our, passive digital time our passive uh, screen time. Especially kids were being told to limit their screen time. Around kids, I think we just got to cut ourselves some slack at the moment. This is not going to last forever. If the kids are on Zoom a lot, then they're on Zoom a lot. If they're online mm. a lot, they're online a lot at the moment. We've got to cut ourselves some slack around that. But in terms of an adult, Um, this person, and I'm assuming it's an adult, is saying that they're finding it hard to adapt, that finding alternatives um, has been hard. hard, they have Zoom fatigue and they want to put their phone on silent, but at the same time, you know, they live alone and they need human connection.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, don't we find that like a, a full day of Zoom meetings, you can sort of come out of it, and you really do feel the effects of of that. It's very different. So yeah. maybe it does come back to that kind of pacing. And, you know, making sure we take time for fresh air, you know, you've got to get out at at lunchtime when we're all at home, it does make it a little bit easier to, you know, have a good lunch break, have a walk around the block. That
0: exercise is really critically important, making sure that you're not just scheduling in Zoom meetings, but you're also scheduling in exercise and outside time, yeah. So, someone also just asked um, on the extra support that Lexine just mentioned um, for a student is there a service we can turn to for, to find some? Um, more help. We're going to pop up a whole list of um, places at the end of the session here. You can also hop online to Matilda Centre website and you'll find um, resources there as well Um, and we'll also try and answer that um, online. We're getting there. Australia has been actually one of the first countries in the world to have a solid mental health response to COVID-19. and all of the many questions that we've got coming through obviously indicates how important that is. Um, but clearly, um, we still we, we still need to have more resources.
1: Well, we've got a question that's come here. Um, and again, my heart goes out to this person about um, who said that they've got a real tendency towards avoidant coping. Um, and I guess that kind of links well to one of our other questions that we wanted to cover today around alcohol use. Because I guess this is, some, this is one way that people can, rather than kind of taking active steps, can want to you know, bury their head in the sand and avoid the problem. and So I guess my question to you, Marie, is do you think that there's risks that there will be an increase in alcohol use at the moment?
0: great question and it really flows on from um, the questions that we've, one of the question that we got in the Q&A. Look, it does, um, alcohol, um, uh, Australians or people across the world, you know, we do have a tendency to um, turn to alcohol um, with coping with anxiety and stress. And the recent reports that we have coming out are that one in four people are reporting um, drinking alcohol to cope with anxiety and stress. We are seeing one in five people purchasing more alcohol and um, close on a third using alcohol daily. So it is as many of our other coping strategies uh, for mental health, uh, for anxiety, for stress are um, threatened under the COVID. 19 there's a you know there's a tendency we're starting to see that people are turning to alcohol at this time to cope and of course as we know alcohol provides um, a very short-term relief but longer term it can spiral Um, and it it is not a very effective coping strategy for anxiety and stress. I'm just wondering, you know, if some people are feeling themselves spiralling and um, drinking a lot earlier, drinking a lot more than they normally would drink, are there practical things people can do, Lex, to really try and help their alcohol use and keep it under control at this time?
1: Mm, I think an important and simple first step is just becoming more aware of how often and how much alcohol you're drinking and some of the situations, thoughts or emotions like you've been talking about, Marie, that might lead you to drink. Um, so as you mentioned, it is common for people to report that they're drinking as a way of coping with feelings of stress or anxiety or low mood. But what we know is that over the longer term, alcohol tends to have a rebound effect and, and make makes low mood and anxiety actually worse. So there's some great um, apps available that can help you track your alcohol use. And it's really important because we find that over time, drinking can have a tendency to creep up. This is particularly true if it's becoming habitual. So for example, it's common maybe for people to have a drink, an alcoholic drink, at the end of the day as a way of winding down. And over time, this can lead to drinking every day maybe drinking increasingly more alcohol which brings me to the fact that it's really important to have several alcohol free days per week to help you stay in control and avoid building up a tolerance to alcohol so tolerance is like a, an inbuilt warning sign that happens when your body becomes used to alcohol so that you need to drink more to experience the same effect and if you're drinking is becoming habitual making changes can be challenging at first but It just takes some experimenting, I guess, with different strategies. So, for example, some people find that replacing that evening wind-down drink with a a non-alcoholic alternative can be a good um, starting point. Or another great option is getting a housemate or partner that you might live with um, on board for solidarity and support in achieving a a target number of, say, alcohol-free days.
0: Uh, Did you just notice that a question came through, Lex, that um, weirdly... um, they said weirdly um, the reverse for them that mm. they were having trouble using alcohol as a support um, for several years, but um, have stopped in the crisis and have had more time to exercise, change lifestyle positively, um, no commute, etc. What a great comment!
1: Yeah, fantastic. And I imagine it probably is like that. It's sort of probably going either way for people. Like for some people, the context that they may have drunk before, the, the triggers for them for drinking might have been around going to pubs, going to parties, you know. So at the moment it might be a good time to be a bit op- opportunistic about making some changes. Whereas for other people it might be the opposite. It might be a, a harder time to, um, to really keep control on, of your alcohol use. But yeah, Yeah. that's
0: great news. Yeah, there's a couple of positives there, a couple of stories, and people Mm. have got positives. And and, um, it's then also using the opportunity of the um, change and keeping that change going longer term. Mm. Yeah. There's one on um, uh, being thrust together 24 7 with partners and Uh. teenagers (laughs) means that niggly personalities and Mm. issues integrate with each other and finding it difficult. to find the time to be selfish and find some me time without Mm -hmm. offending others in the house who want to want you to be there all the time. Mm -hmm. You've got to apply the oxygen mask to yourself. You definitely need some me time. So, um, and it's long in the longer term, it's a lot better in those situations. Again, that's trying to use the geography if you can, or popping the um, me time to, uh, in, into the, Uh, however that is, into the uh, environment. Exercising, I find, is a really active coping strategy for finding some me time. Um, I don't know if you've got any other suggestions or strategies for um, the 24-7.
1: Yeah, I think your your first point is just such an important one that we often... Particular people, and I, I've been thinking a lot about health professionals at the moment, and you know, who are under extraordinary stress. And um, so, for health professionals, for parents, for all these people that have additional demands on them, it's so important that we realize that to take time out for ourselves means that we're more effective carers. It means that we're supporting our own mental health, emotional wellbeing, and that we're going to be better at our jobs and be more able to support those around us. So it's not selfish. It's actually a selfless act to take time to care for yourself. So, yeah, Yeah. I just encourage that person to to carve that time out, um, ask for support to carve it out if need be.
0: Maybe. And someone was asking, uh, you mentioned um, healthcare workers and someone was asking about providing support to healthcare workers who were COVID positive and then feeling the stress and the stigma around that. And um, they it's, they're, um, As I said, the Australian Government is actually, and Australia has been some of the first in the world to start to put some resources in place for the mental health of both health workers and also the mental health of the community. And so very shortly, there will be some resources, more resources available for um, workers and healthcare workers, particularly around those issues, but also the stress and the potential um, uh, trauma associated with being on the front line around COVID. So, we will send a link to those um, as they uh, get up. They're not up yet. Um, And again, um, it's really reframing as uh, the stigma is around the guilt and the feeling very um, responsible for those, uh, you know, in terms of a health setting, but it's really reframing it as we're all humans and this can happen to anyone.
1: Mm. But I saw a question before, I swear, which was about young people. Yep. Um, so I thought I might flip that one to you, with your expertise in this area, about whether you think that um, young people are particularly vulnerable at this time, or or are teenagers bulletproof?
0: Yeah. Well, I think we we hope uh, teenagers like to think they're bulletproof, but I think when it comes down to or we know, when it comes down to previous disasters internationally, um, SARS. Um, uh, the fallout after the um, Hurricane Katrina, that actually it was younger people and adolescents who were the hardest hit in terms of uh, mental health. So this is also now starting to play out in the very early data that's coming out of the UK that's showing that young people are experiencing some of the greatest levels of distress um, and stress uh, uh, following um, the initial outbreak of COVID in March in the UK so um young people are particularly vulnerable and then of course that snowballs uh later on so um as you know we've even got someone now saying online my teenager seems to be having a harder time about the self-isolation than anyone in my family of course there's going to be some kids who uh, relish the um isolation but they're that those reports coming out um of the other disasters plus the UK say that for some young people they really are going to be hit hard by the self-isolation. So we definitely need to be responsive and we really need to be providing resources and as many resources online as we can. So we've been building um, evidence-based online resources for young people over many years and you can pop on the Matilda Centre and see those resources. We've made a number of those resources free over the period and and distributing over the period of COVID. So I think it's just really get on and give teenagers as much of the um, skills and advice as we can now so that we build up um, as much support for them so that they are at least buffeted against the effects of this so like I said get online have a look at those resources on Matilda Centre teenagers while they really find it hard they actually also are they're learning machines and so let's take that opportunity and give them the skills that we can someone's just asking us about HSC so supporting teenagers sitting the HSC and having supported a teenager through the HSC last year that is incredibly challenging and now with COVID, on top of that, you've definitely got the um, the, the increased um, double whammy of both the HSC and COVID. Um, that person's mentioned a lack of sleep is a common characteristic, and and lack of sleep, you know, compounding with being highly anxious and um, avoidance is a strategy I think coming back to being active coping exercise having um, and trying to make sure you've got some really uh, solid sleep strategies in place they're all brilliant things to be doing for a teenager but I think that first point that you made Lex about cutting some slack I know some universities now are going to be accepting the year 11 marks for um, entry Mm -hmm. so just really testing and and, um, understanding that it's going to be a difficult time. Mm. Any other strategies around HSC? Uh,
1: No, but we've got another um, interesting, almost more of a comment um, about, as someone's written in and said, um, that they're an introvert who's actually quite liking this um, situation. And the suggestion is that we should do, we should be asking more um, people that are more introverted and, Asking them about the ways that they cope and the things that they're doing, and so she's saying that she feels very comfortable alone. She's developed some very good, strong care, self-care strategies, um, including exercise. So that speaking, I guess, hearing hearing the voices of people that are maybe more suited to this kind of um, physical distancing might be a really good thing at this time.
0: Yeah, and capturing. So there are many Australian studies happening at the moment to try and mm-hmm. actually capture how what strategies people are using to cope in these. So one, acknowledging that it can be challenging for people and we know that the social isolation can lead to increased anxiety and depression. But then it's also important to understand what strategies people are using in this very unknown. Um, So thanks for sharing that. And um, again, we are trying to bring together the research studies that are happening both nationally and internationally so that we can actually learn what. For now and for potentially the future, what are the ways that people um, cope? So um, definitely that question has some great strategies in there that we could Mm. be collecting.
1: So just a comment or a question actually a broader a question someone's asked is it just me or are people also having difficulty concentrating on uni work during this time even though I technically have more time and I think this sort of harks back to what we what we talked about right at the beginning but yeah like I think I think Well, obviously there are some people, as um, we just spoke about, the person who self-described introvert, but I think for a lot of us, you know, people really are finding things a bit harder at the moment. There's kind of, there's, you know, those worries that you've got about the future, about what's happening, there's the uncertainty. And so I do think it's very, very common to have less capacity to concentrate on what we need to be doing at the moment. Do you have anything to add to that, Marie?
0: No, I think you're right that we've got the added cognitive load. And I think the way that we talk about it is very important that we are thinking about this as working constantly as working from home, whereas the framing is actually, we are trying to do some work, some productive work in, in the face of a global crisis where we are concerned, where we do have the load of worrying about our health. If one in seven Australians are very concerned about their health, that is that is going to take some mental energy, and some of the strategies that we've been talking about um, is trying to take that and and make sure it isn't happening twenty four seven. That you put that in a in a particular um, time of your day, or you use strategies to contain that, so that when you are working, even if it isn't as many hours as you normally work, you've got time, you've got some headspace to do that. One of the things. Um, uh, we're asked here is is it it's difficult to say no to requests for catch-up mm-hmm. face time skype chats particularly when you don't have anything else to do and finding it difficult to politely decline to participants so there are a lot of great strategies for politely declining um, without actually saying no And I'm just wondering, Lex, if you wanted to give a few of those um, strategies to this person.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm thinking I like this person's idea of politely just declining some some Zoom requests. (laughs) I might take it (laughs) on board myself. Yeah, I think sometimes we... Sometimes we we're not assertive about our situation because we presume that someone is not going to be accepting, um, and often that assumption might might or might not be accurate. So I guess the first thing that I would say is to test it out to this person. Um, I guess you've you're clearly coming from a perspective where you want to politely decline, and I think we've talked today about the kind of like the internet overload of computers all day um, so perhaps it's about politely explaining to the person i've already had several zoom meetings booked in for that day i find that i get quite headachey if i have more than x number so would, would you mind if we did it next week instead i guess that would be one of the strategies that i might try but it's really just about testing out what works for you and not assuming that the person is going to react um when you when you're not actually sure actually finding that out
0: Yeah, yeah, that not assuming, really, really important. So we've got time for a couple more questions before we um, we have to close off. But one of them here, I think, is really important about the roller coaster ride that this can be. Um, They're saying that I cope well for two or three days, but then every third or fourth day, I find I'm quite teary and um, normal functioning is hard. Um, How do I know whether this is a typical response in the circumstances? driven by how tiring it is to remain positive Mm -hmm. or whether it's indicative of needing more professional help?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think... I guess what what this person is capturing here is an understanding that it is normal that we're going to feel a little bit more down at the moment or that we're going to feel a bit more stressed at the moment perhaps teary at the moment but I guess some of the signs that I'd be looking out for are you know for one thing that it's persisting beyond just one day or one afternoon that it really is something that's continuing on for quite some time and that there is a significant impact on your functioning So you're not able to concentrate your sleep might be disrupted your appetite might be disrupted you're really feeling some of those bigger impacts and that you've kind of got that negative spiral of thoughts going on and that might indicate that you really do need some additional um, help but having said that I guess really we can all benefit from learning some coping strategies so I would encourage anyone who's who's feeling down to have a look at some of the resources that are available online a lot of the strategies are just really simple you know common sense even strategies but that can just help you to be able to manage that you know the emotions that we all are are sort of confronting at the moment um, and to do that in a more proactive way
0: maybe even just mentioning that there are now um, telehealth is available and is much more broadly available. Um, so psychologists and, um, and mental health professionals are able to provide telehealth services for people so that if you are feeling, as you say, there's no problem with, um, with reaching out. It doesn't hurt anyone to have um, a, either a brush up or to have skills in these areas. So if you are f- as you said, seeing it um, start to spiral, then there's absolutely no harm. And you can find psychologists online, go to resources, go to online resources. Those, um, I I wouldn't hold back in in reaching Mm -hmm. out.
1: Absolutely. And what we're going to provide at the end of um, today's session. um, So I guess what we've uh, as Marie says, it's so important to reach out. So, what we've done is put together a whole bunch of resources that Marie can talk
0: through in terms of how you might go about doing that. Uh, there are COVID 19 mental health resources, and we'll keep updating those um, uh, both on the Matilda site and Sydney Uni sites. Um, there's resources for children and youth and um, crisis support services. So, if anything that we've talked about today has made you feel um, distressed and wanting immediate support then please um, reach out to those um, crisis support services Um, in terms of substance use um, assistance there's some um, amazing resources there Uh, both online help resources and positive choices has the online resources for young people that I was talking about Um, In terms of domestic violence, there's some uh, great uh, organisations and lines there if people are needing help in that area. And then um, just lastly, um, the University of Sydney, um, there's some ways to give back and to, as people said, try and increase the research in this area. So um, we'll post uh, this uh, on the Sydney Ideas website and also on the Matilda Centre website, this slide. And we keep adding to it um, and please throw your questions in because the more we know, the more areas, um, the more information we have about the gaps, the more areas and we can um, add and that is um it um, thank you so much everyone for tuning in and thank you for the amazing question and answer session um, look out for the podcast and hopefully we can answer some of the questions online too thanks very much all
1: right thanks everyone bye